The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. We're going to continue in our series called Making Change this morning. As we're in week three, we've been going with a different theme every week, and we want to honor God through the way that we handle our finances. And we want to make change in our lives. And the type of change that we want to make is our perspective that we see things the way God wants us to see it when it comes to our finances, because our finances are directly tied to our heart. And Jesus knew this, and that's why in Luke 12 and 34, that he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he was talking about finances. He was talking about possessions. He was talking about stuff. And so many people want to make their lives just about stuff and money and earnings, but God has a better way that he wants us to approach it and a better way that he wants us to handle it. And so we're going to go in week three today talking about giving is good. But over the past few weeks, we've been learning that less is more. And then last week we talked about stress is bad, which we all kind of knew that. But we also know now how to walk in victory over stress by orienting our heart towards delighting in the Lord. And this week, we're going to talk about giving is good. And then next week, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about tomorrow matters. So I want us to get these things in our heart. And I want us to get them in our head to where these are more than just topics or titles of sermons, but to where they're things that we're actually living in our lives. So let's say them together and let's do it with energy, all right? So together, let's say, less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. One more time. Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. I believe that if we truly get these principles in our heart, that it will help to make the change that we need to make concerning this area of our lives. In Acts 20 and verse 35, the New Living Translation reads like this, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. But how many of you know that not only is it a blessing to give, but it is a blessing to receive. How many of you guys like receiving? I know you're trying to be spiritual in church. I get it. I understand, but I'm not judging you. How many of you guys like to receive? I like to receive. I like it when someone does something above and beyond, when they do something unexpected for me, when they may bless me with something I wasn't looking for. I like it when people buy my dinner. I like it when someone has already paid for my cup of Starbucks when I drive through and pick it up and the person ahead of me got it. I like to receive, but as much fun as it is to receive, the Bible says that it's more blessed to give than to receive. The Bible doesn't say that receiving is bad. It just says giving is better. It says giving is better than receiving. There is a greater blessing attached to giving than there is receiving. And we understand this, and you all probably knew I was going to say it's more blessed to give than to receive. You probably said it at some point in your life, but there is no emotional driven attachment that really moves me when I think about consuming and just heaping more for myself. i got plenty of stories that I can share with you about how I've been blessed and and how other people have blessed me. I could share plenty of stories about how God's moved on my heart to give to someone, and those are emotionally charged stories, but there are no emotionally charged consuming stories where I think more is better. You've never heard anyone say with passion and tears in their eyes, man, I remember feeling closer to God when I bought that flat screen TV. I cried the whole way home from Best Buy. I was so overwhelmed with emotion. At least hopefully you're not sharing that story anyways. Other people aren't moved to emotion, but man, I'm a sucker for those types of shows where people are just doing generous things for other people who don't really have a lot. Like maybe someone lost a home in a fire, or maybe someone was out of a job and someone did something over and above just extra kind and generous for someone else. If I see that stuff on TV, you guarantee you I'm going to park. And I try to play the tough guy when my wife is with me, and when they say, move that bus, and they want to show this family the new house that they built for them, I am fighting the tears, and I try to change the subject to talk about something else. 
because really on the inside, I'm just a big baby and I'm just wanting to just let it all out and just boo-hoo because it moves me emotionally when I see generosity. But I'm not moved by the consumer mentality. I'm not moved by just getting more stuff and thinking about spending more and getting more for myself, but I am moved when I give because we know in our core and we know in our heart that giving is good. And we know that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive because when you give, it impacts someone else's life. It's not just about you giving. It's about the fact that they're not just getting, say, a bill paid or that they're getting a car or they're getting a check or whatever the case may be, but it's that their life is actually being impacted by the very act of generosity, by someone giving. Because when you give, it impacts someone's life. You will be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's what 2 Corinthians 9 and 11 says. I want to read it again. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And I, it, it just reiterates this idea that giving is good, and we know that. But if giving is so good, then why do we struggle with it so much? Why is it one of those kind of taboo subjects that we're like, oh boy, this is the giving message? Why do we struggle with the idea of giving often if we know it's good? We've been saying giving is good. We know it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, but we still freak out. We don't give more. We don't think about being more generous. We have limits and ceilings and reasons why that there are limitations to our generosity. And I really think that if we are honest, that there are three primary reasons that people struggle with growing in generosity and truly knowing that giving is good. And the first one is because maybe you're struggling. When you're struggling, you're just thinking about having enough, and your whole life is consumed with making sure you have enough, and that's your focus. You're focused on making sure that you're making ends meet, and maybe you're not even doing that. The last thing on your mind or the last thing on your priority list is being generous. Matter of fact, you think somebody needs to be generous to me. And that's where our mentality is when we have that mindset and we think that there's no hope for me and we can't see ourselves getting out of the situation and that you're struggling. You're really having an issue with it and we'll put God at the very end and we'll want to be generous if I have some left over. And that's our mentality is that if there's more left over, then I'll be generous. But that's not the way that God works. God isn't a leftovers God. God is a put me first in all things. How many of you know that your day is going to go better if you started off with the Lord? You know that? It, it just is. End of story. You're going to be more focused. You're going to understand purpose more. You're going to have more of uh, the joy of the Lord. You're going to have more peace. If you start your day off with the Lord before you scroll through Facebook to catch up on the latest gossip, before you turn on the television or read the newspaper, if you put yourself in a situation where you are putting God first in your day, your day will be more productive and go better. And then bad stuff can happen along the day. It doesn't mean your day is going to go perfect. Bad stuff can happen, but because because you put God on the front end, when the bad stuff happens, you're still reminded that the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're still reminded that He cares for you. You're still reminded of the scripture that you read that morning or the thing that you felt God speak to your heart that morning to encourage you or whatever the case may be because you have put that at the forefront of your day. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all this other stuff will be added unto you. We seek stuff first and go, well, I'll seek God later if I have more time in the day. It's kind of like going to the gym. For me, if I don't go in the morning, I'm not going to go, right? I have really good intentions, and I'll try to look for another window of time, and I may even have another window of time, but something always comes up. And if we don't put God on the front of our lives and we don't put Him first and prioritize Him where He's supposed to be, then it seems like other things will always compete, and other things will always take up our time. And it's the same thing with our finances. When we feel like we're struggling, or maybe you really are struggling, and you're not prioritizing generosity God's way, then when it comes to the end of the month, there's always more month than there is money. Doesn't it always seem like that? But when you put God first, what you find 
is that he provides your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But that's a reason, I think, that we struggle with generosity is because we ourselves may be struggling and don't feel like we have enough. I think the second reason is probably common maybe for some of you. I know it definitely was for me for a long season in my life is that you've seen this message abused. You have heard pastors, preachers, evangelists, televangelists do the Jim Baker thing, you know, where they'll try to get people to give in order to line their own pockets and all of those things where people are extremely uh, hypocritical with their intent and they'll try to sell you on this idea that God is going to do something for you if you give a certain amount of money. If you give a $100 seed right now, God's going to give you a $10,000 check in the mail. I just feel it right now. But there's a window in the spirit, and it's shrinking, and you better get in on this deal because it's, you can even do installments right now, three easy payments. You can get in on this deal, $19.95, and people do that kind of stuff, and it puts a bad taste in our mouth. I grew up in that, okay? I, I spent the majority of my adolescent years in that type of environment. And it was heavily abused where it seemed like there were a few people that would have a great experience because they gave something and people would look to that giving experience and the blessing they received in return as some type of formula. And so they would go, oh, this is a formula. This is how you do it. Well, I want what they have. And so to get what they have, I need to do what they did. So I'm going to do what they did and hopefully God will do for me what he did for them. And then maybe it doesn't work out that way and they all get mad or frustrated at God or they feel condemned because they're not giving enough. That was normally the message that was preached. It wasn't that necessarily anything. The main thing that was wrong was that you weren't giving enough. And so it was give more, give more, give more. And it was this give to get mentality. And I grew up with it, and it was highly toxic. We even had praise and worship songs in our church that I grew up in. No joke that we sang about money. There was a song called Money Cometh to Me. I'm not even joking. I guess if you put a TH on the end of it, it sounds like more spiritual because it's like more King James-ish, money cometh to me. We sang that song for four or five years at our church, and we sang it all the time. And I played in the worship team, and I was in that. And I thought that was what God wanted because the idea behind that teaching was that God wants to show off through his kids, his, his children, and he wants to give you favor by giving you stuff, and stuff equals love. And so if God loves you and you love God, then he's going to give you more stuff, and you're going to be able to see, people are going to be able to see how blessed you are because of all the stuff that you have. Well, what happened with that whole message is it turned very selfish, and people were just giving to get. They were praying to get. They were trying to have faith just to get because they wanted cars, and they wanted houses, and these things became idols, and they wanted stuff more than they wanted God. It's not that God minds you having nice things, but God is not going to give you something that is going to satisfy you more than Jesus. I'm going to say that again because somebody needs to hear that. God is not going to give you something to satisfy you more than Jesus should satisfy you. Because guess what Jesus is? He's all-sufficient. He's preeminent. In other words, there's nothing better than Jesus. Amen? So that means if you didn't have anything but you still had Jesus, you're good. Because you have Jesus. And when you have Jesus, you have more than enough. But the church I grew up in taught that Jesus was basically holding the door open so you could get all this extra stuff because this stuff would really make you happy. And that only exposes our own selfishness and only exposes all this junk. And we went after the money, man. I mean, we were given crazy amounts of money expecting to get all this stuff. And the heart and the motive was all wrong. So I grew up in that. I know all about that. But that doesn't mean that just because you've heard this message abused and just because people in spiritual authority have abused their position and their influence in order to try to get in people's pockets that you shouldn't be generous and you shouldn't give. That's not an excuse. Someone else's abuse and misuse of their position or their influence does not negate the truth of the Word of God. Oh, hello, somebody. People are going to twist Scripture to say what they want it to say. That's going to happen for the rest of our lives. It's never going to stop. But the thing is, is if we hold to the truity of the Word of God, it doesn't matter how someone else may twist it, manipulate it, whether you've experienced that twisting and manipulation or not. It doesn't mean that the parts are true all of a sudden become not true. It doesn't exempt us from the pieces in Scripture that talk about generosity and the heart behind it just because we've seen it abused. So don't allow your own woundedness from the past to keep you from living a generous life because you've never met a frumpy, unhappy, generous person. Uh, you haven't. You've never met someone who's genuinely generous that 
is an unhappy person. I shared this story last week, but I'm going to share it again because it's such a good story, where Dave Ramsey has employees. He gives them bonuses when they uh, exceed their sales and, and when they do above and beyond what, uh, what they're required to do. And he gives them bonuses based off of how well they're doing for the company. Dave Ramsey, the finance guru, one of his employees received a crazy bonus every year because this gal's worked for him for 20 years, and she's on up there to where she's getting these insane bonuses. And you know what she does with them? She gives them away. Every bit of it, she gives it away. But when she gives it away, she does so in a specific restaurant, in the Waffle House. Have you guys ever heard of Waffle House? How many of you guys know Waffle House? If you don't, eh, you're okay. But... <laughs> Waffle House is a greasy spoon chain restaurant that you'll run into on the interstate, kind of a mix between a truck stop and a diner. It's kind of like a hybrid of both. And it's not the best place in the world, but yet these people felt called to Waffle House. And they said, we're going to have a Waffle House ministry. And these people that work for Dave Ramsey would take their bonuses and give outrageous tips to the waiter or waitress that would serve them at the restaurant. But they would pray about where to go, who to give it to. They wouldn't just randomly do it. They would be very intentional with it. And they said there was a waitress at one place that she was about eight months along and expecting a child. And she looked like she was about to have a child at just any time. And here she is working at the Waffle House. And if you're that far along in your pregnancy and you're still working at the Waffle House, odds are you're probably in a spot where you really need the money to work. And so they felt God was telling them to give. They wrote this gal a $500 tip. And you know what they did? They didn't wait for her reaction. They wrote the tip really quick on the receipt, got in the car, and drove off as fast as they could because they didn't want the praise and the glory. They wrote her a little message on there, and they got in the car, and they said, we giggled the whole way that we were driving home. They said we were giggling because we were wondering, what, what did she do? I wonder what she did. Well, maybe she did this. Maybe she did that. And they would just talk and dream about what the girl's reaction possibly was to that wonderful gift. Generous people are happy people. They really are because money doesn't control them. Stuff doesn't control them. Comparing what you have in contrast to what your neighbor has or your brother has or your parents have or your friends have doesn't control you. And those things don't make you feel like you're failing or you're not uh, in, in the know because you don't have the latest, greatest phone or because you don't drive a certain car or wear certain kind of clothes or are able to go on certain kind of vacations and you don't feel like you're less than because your life doesn't revolve around those things. Your significance doesn't revolve around those things. And you can be free to give and be free to be generous. Man, that is so much more of a happy life than being controlled by what you don't yet have and thinking your happiness and your fulfillment is some somehow attached to something you don't yet have. What a miserable life to live. And we've all drifted over in that. I have, you have, we all have to where we feel like we're less than because we're not living in a certain kind of house or we're driving a certain kind of car or we don't have a certain title at work yet. We've been working there for a number of years. We haven't got the respect we deserve. We haven't got what we think we need to have. We're not as far along. Maybe you're, maybe you're getting older and you're going, I thought I'd be in a different place in life right now and I'm not where I thought I'd be. Well, there's no time like the present to begin to make change, Amen. To begin to learn that less is more, that stress is bad, that giving is good and tomorrow matters, and believe that it is better to give than it is to receive. Amen, somebody. The last thing I think that people struggle with is that the, they not only recognize that maybe they're struggling or that they've heard this message abused, but maybe they just have a scarcity mindset. That's the third struggle I think that we have with the generosity giving message. In other words, we think I need to have more before I can be in a position to give. And they always think I need to hold on to everything. And they live very tight-fisted because I may need this for me. They have barns full of stuff and garages and basements just full of stuff and closets full of stuff because they can't let anything go because they're afraid I might need it. And so they build a sense of security around what they can hold in their hands. Remember what we learned in Less is More in, uh, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes where Scripture says that better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with chasing after the wind. And all the stress that comes along with the, all of the two handfuls. We learned that less is more, but people that live with a scarcity mindset think more is better. I got to have more to feel secure because their security is wrapped up in what they have, how much they have in retirement, how much they have set aside for themselves, how much they can do for their family, how much they feel that they can have, and their security is solely based on what they can hold in their hands. 
And they only feel as secure as the amount of things that they can hold, that they can go home and look at the things that they have and almost exhale knowing that they're okay. And they're never generous. And they always prioritize generosity later when they have a big breakthrough or when finally where our ship is going to come in or when finally something changes in the business or something changes in your job or something changes in our financial situation. Then I'll be generous and because they're living with a scarcity mindset and they never feel like they have anything to give and they miss out on the blessing that you receive when you are generous because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. When you give, you will be a blessing. And when you give, you will always be blessed. When you give, you will be a blessing to someone else and you will always be blessed. In other words, you can't lose with giving. You can't lose with generosity. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 reads like this in the message translation. The world of the generous continues to get larger and larger. The world of the stingy or the scarcity mindset gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others will be abundantly blessed. And if giving is good, which we all said we believe that giving is good, we all said we believe it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, and if we actually believe that, then we need to grow in getting better at it instead of just hoping one day, somewhere, somehow, we're just able to give. And it's some pipe dream that we have that is somewhere yet that I haven't reached. Instead, we need to learn how to be generous now, how to grow in generosity now. So let's talk about how to grow in generosity. I'm going to give you three things, and we're going to start here because this is where we have to start according to Scripture. Growing in generosity starts with trusting God with the tithe. We have to trust God with the tithe in order to grow in generosity. The word tithe is the Hebrew word mesasar, which means one-tenth. So one-tenth, the book of Leviticus 27 says, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields, whether fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord and it must be set apart to Him as holy. It's God's. Really? All of it belongs to God, does it not? All of it. It doesn't matter what percentage you attach to it. It all belongs to God. But God says, set apart a tithe unto me, a tenth, ten percent, because it is mine. It is holy. The tithe is the foundation. It's the starting point to develop and to cultivate a heart of generosity. People, if they ever want to know, how do I start being generous? How do I start living a generous lifestyle? You start with the tithe. That's where you start. Not on the end when I have left over, but I prioritize and start with the tithe because that enables my heart to be in a position where God begins to work in me and through me, and I begin to recognize I'm a steward, not the owner, that it all belongs to Him. And I, I always wondered, and I don't know, maybe you're smarter than me in Scripture, and if you are, you can tell me the real reason, but here's my, my, my logic and my reasoning for what it's worth. I always wondered, why 10%? Why, why that number? Why a tithe? Why a 10% does God say, this is mine, it's holy, separate it unto me? I began to think about this in my own logic, for whatever's that worth, that my own logic says, you know what, if it were less than 10%, I could probably do it without it affecting my life very much. If God said, I require 3%, 3%, I probably wouldn't miss that as much. But 10%, I think, causes me to have to be more intentional, and it almost hurts just a little bit, in a sense, to where I can't continue to live selfishly and not prioritize the tithe. It causes me to shift some things in my life to where I have to look at my budget differently. And I have to begin to be more disciplined in certain areas because I know I'm going to put God first and I know this is His. And it causes a complete mind shift change. And I believe it's just enough to where it starts to affect us at the heart level. Because God's not interested in your money. He's not interested in your stuff. He's not after your stuff. That's not why he's instituted this. He's actually instituted it for your benefit because it's funny. As a pastor, people will get real deep with me about their lives, and they'll open up to me and ask for help and ask for advice and ask for me to help them walk through challenging situations. And they'll be very vulnerable about struggling in their marriage. They'll be very vulnerable about struggling with certain addiction issues. They'll be very vulnerable about struggling 
in relationships at work or in a situation with family members, and they'll open their chest to me about that. But the moment you ask them about their money, there's a wall that goes up. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? How am I spending my money? That's not your business. We get really defensive. And the reason we get really defensive is because that money is directly attached to your heart. Nobody wants to open up about that. The wall immediately goes up when we start asking questions about how are you spending your finances. A lot of that stuff has things to do with your heart, and it could be causing some of your marriage problems, could be causing some of your addiction problems. But we don't want to talk about the money thing. Even people get upset in church, and they don't want to talk about money because maybe you heard this message abused, and you got a bad taste in your mouth from some pastor somewhere else. Believe me, I know. I grew up in that. If anybody's got a bad taste in their mouth towards finances being talked about in church, it's me. I'm the poster child for that. We sang a song about it for crying out loud in our church. Money cometh to me for the sake of the gospel. Money cometh to me. And then the tagline was money, money cometh over and over and over again. And people would shout and do backflips. So if you're offended because I'm teaching on money, believe me, I understand. But you've got to move past that because it's in the scripture and we need to talk about it because it's attached to our heart. And we need to not be afraid or ashamed to talk about the tithe and shy away from it and try to reason it away or justify it away. Why would we want to look at ways to give God less? Oh, well, tithing's Old Testament, Pastor. Sure it is, but Jesus talks about it, Paul talks about it, and it may not be specifically taught in the New Testament, but why would we want to give God less? Because he shortchanged us somewhere in life? I think we're missing the heart behind the tithe. I think we're missing the heart behind generosity. I think we're missing it when we make it about an amount instead of about the fact that God is saying, start here and grow from there. Amen, somebody? Amen. This is a faith walk. The whole journey is faith. It doesn't matter if it's your marriage. It doesn't matter if it's your kids. It doesn't matter if it's your job. It doesn't matter if it's your finances. This whole journey is a faith walk, and it requires trust. That means I've got to release control, and some people will release control of their spouse. Some people will release control of their kids. Some people will release control of that family situation, but they won't release control of money to God. What does that say about us and where our trust is? It says we're trusting in our own self and our own ability and we're not trusting God. And God says start with the tithe and grow from there. Not because the church is trying to get in your, hand, get in your pocketbook. Not because God needs your money, but because God is after your heart. And if you won't release this to God, you've got to ask yourself why. Why will I trust Him over here and expect Him to deliver me and save me and do all these things, but I won't trust Him in this one area of my life? It's because we want to control it and we've got to release that and we've got to trust God with the tithe and stop making excuses because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Receiving's fun and receiving's great and there's nothing wrong with receiving, but giving is better than receiving. And if we believe that, then we've got to live it and stop just saying that we know it's more blessed to give than to receive. We've got to leave, live that. And Jesus, over and over again, talks to us about the attachment of our heart to money. You remember the story of the rich young ruler. This guy comes up to Jesus. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, oh, well, you've got to follow the commandments. The guy says, well, which ones? I've, I've been doing a really good job of following those. And he said, well, that's great. Well, if you really want to be perfect and follow me, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, take up your cross, and follow me. And the guy walked away sad, the Bible says, because he had many possessions. And then Jesus follows that encounter with a story to those that were watching. He turns around to the crowd following him, and he says, how hard is it for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven? I'm telling you, it's more difficult than squeezing a camel through the eye of a needle. He said, I'm telling you, it's hard because they've got their heart wrapped up in stuff, their significance, their identity wrapped up in stuff because they won't let it go, because they won't trust God. When he says, if, if I tell you to sell everything you have, take up your cross and follow me, do you not think I'm going to take care of you? <laughs> Am I that much of a jerk? that I'm going to say, sell everything you have, and then you're, you're always going to be living, struggling, and barely getting by. No, he said, no, trust me. 
Trust me. In Malachi 3 and 10, the Bible says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I won't open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is the only place in Scripture where we are said to be able to test God. He's trying to get to us at a heart level. It's not about the number of zeros that follow the number when you write a check to some organization or some church. It's not about the amount or the bigness of the gift. It's about the obedience. And he says, test me, try me out, see if I'm not going to make good on this. When we tie, that teaches us to prioritize our life around God. It teaches us to prioritize our life around God. That's why I believe we should give God the first part of our day. And we should focus and start out our day with him. Before you check Facebook, before you turn on the news, before you read the newspaper, get some new habits, man. Start your day off with God. You'll be ready for whatever challenges the day has for you. If you start off with God, because you're saying, God, you're my hope for this day. You're the one who gave me this day. I recognize that I wouldn't even have air in my lungs if it wasn't for you. And so you said, I'm going to give this guy air in his lungs today. Thanks for that, God. I want to start off my day recognizing that I am not my own source, that there's some outside force that is enabling me to live, that's enabling me to communicate, that's enabling me to breathe, that's enabling me to function. I want to recognize that before I recognize anything else because I don't want to get distracted and swayed over to think that somehow I am self-sufficient. I need to start off my day depending on God and trusting in Him because how many of you know that there's plenty of junk you're going to face that's going to try to stress you out, knock you off, distract you, discourage you, come against you? You better start your day off with God. So if starting your day off with God, if seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness is over and over commanded in Scripture, then why would we not trust Him first with our finances? Because it builds faith in God's faithfulness. It builds trust in Him that if He said it, that He's going to do it. The second thing we need to do after we trust God with the tithe is we need to plan our generosity. We plan all of our accumulating and our acquiring. Do we not? If you go to buy a home, do you not plan? You not know I need X amount of dollars to have a good down payment. I need to make sure that it's within the price range that we can afford. I need to make sure that I plan to try to have a good credit score to get a good interest rate. I want to make plans to make sure that I can pay it off in a reasonable amount of time when I go and make a large purchase like that. When you go on vacation, before you go, do you not plan? We want to go to this location or that location. It's going to cost us X amount of dollars to stay in a hotel, this much money to eat, this much for airfare or car rental, and we plan. Do you not plan for Christmas time when if you have little kids or grandkids where you go, I have X amount of children and I want to be able to spend X amount of money and you began to plan, we plan to acquire. Why on earth would we not plan to give? We plan to get, but it is more blessed to give, say it with me, than to receive. So if we believe it's more blessed to give than receive, then I need to be intentional with my generosity. Man, we shop for the best deals. If you're a, a, a coupon, you know, a coupon person, you're super intense with your planning, and you want to make sure you get uh, $2,000 worth of groceries for a nickel, and that's what your, your victory is, is if you walk out of the grocery store and you're like, I'm the coupon king or queen, and you feel like you've accomplished this great feat and saved all this money, but that didn't just happen, did it? No, you had to plan. And if we plan to acquire, if we plan to save, why would we not plan to give? I wanted to buy a car for someone here a while back. I mean, it was in my heart to buy someone a car. And I didn't have the intentional, expendable income to just go out and buy someone a car. And I mean, I wanted to buy them like a decent car, not like the car where you have to roll down the window and then roll it back up and then get outside and slam the door, pump the gas pedal three times, put it in reverse, put it in neutral, then put it back in park and then hope it starts. I'm not talking about that one, you know, where you have to do a, 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 some type of jig and dance and uh, some type of uh, uh, saying or chant to try to get it start. I'm not talking about that car. I've had that car before, okay? 
1974 Torino. You get out of it smelling like gasoline, and <laughs> it's scary because <laughs> gasoline is not supposed to, yeah. I didn't want to get someone that car. I, I wanted to get them a good car, something they could depend on, but I didn't have the money to do it. And I told my wife, I said, I really wish that I could buy this person a vehicle. And she said, well, have you ever planned to do that? Huh. And I thought, I haven't. If that's in my heart to do, and I want to be in a position to be able to do that at some point in my life, I need to plan for that. Because otherwise, I'm going to always be wishing that I had more left over to be able to do something for someone. I need to be intentional. My wife is a genius. That's why I married her. You guys just think I'm smart. You don't know me that well. There's some behind-the-scenes stuff happening that she helps me to grow and be better, and that's one of those things where she'll say little things like that, and I'm like, I didn't even think about that. I totally missed that. I want to be intentional. So I began to say, what does that look like for us? Let's be intentional. What do we have to move around in our lives intentionally? What do we have to say no to now so we can say yes to this later? What things have we been saying yes to that have been keeping us from being able to buy someone a car? Well, we've been saying yes to, you know, just going to eat out whenever we want to. We've been saying yes to going to the movies whenever we want to or going and taking this trip or that trip. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if my intent is to be in a position where I want to live this way, then I need to put myself in that position. Does that not make sense? Otherwise, I'm just going to be hoping. Well, God, if you'd help me to win the lottery, I'd be able to do so much for your kingdom. Think about that for a second. I think that if we won the lottery and we weren't generous to start with, I don't think winning the lottery would all of a sudden make us generous because it's a heart issue. Isaiah 32 and 8 says this, Generous people plan to do what is generous, and they stand firm in their generosity. They plan intentional to be generous and they stand firm in their generosity. In other words, they stand firm in their generosity and they don't make excuses. They find a way to give. They find a way to be generous. They don't excuse it. They don't go, well, if I just had this or if I didn't have this. No, they find a way. Even if you're without income right now and you don't have a job, find a way to be generous because there's more things you can give than just finances. What do you have? Instead of looking at what you don't have, look at what you do have. Maybe you've got more time because apparently you're not working right now. So time, you have plenty of that. What are you going to do with that time? How can you be generous with your time? Are there things you can do, certain skills that you have that you could be generous with, that you could go and bless someone with because you can do something that you know someone has need of that you have a solution to or that you have the ability to be able to do? Be generous in those areas where you can be generous and stop making excuses for why you can't and stop putting off generosity to, one, to being one day when I have this or that. Because generosity is a heart issue. It's not a bank account issue. Amen, somebody. Because giving is not something we do as Christ followers. Being generous is who we are. One of the things that my wife and I do intentionally is we budget out a certain amount of money every month, and it's in our budget. We use the Every Dollar app from Dave Ramsey. It's free. You can download it, start you a budget. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Get that app and start a budget. He teaches you how to do it on there. It's a great free tool. And my wife and I have been using it for about two years now. And in our Every Dollar app, there is an amount that we always set aside above our tithes and offerings where we give our tithes and offerings here to the church, we give to Word of Grace here our tithe and our offering, where we set aside that 10%, and then we have offerings. That means above and beyond the tithe that we give to certain people or certain organizations, and we may do some of that on a regular basis, but then we have this kind of discretionary fund that sits over here. And this fund is something where we put money in it, and we just wait for God to direct us. It's kind of uh, God just speak to me, type fun, to where if there's an opportunity to do something for someone, I have the money already planned to do it because I'm planning to be generous. I'm not going, oh man, I wish I could help. Mm. 
I got that letter in the mail from that person that's going on this trip or the person that's needing this or I saw this thing on television or, or through social media and I wish I could contribute and help that family out. Oh man, that sure would be nice if I had, oh, I just can't right now. But instead I could go, I've already intentionally set aside the money and then God provides an opportunity. That'll put you in a mode where you're always looking for an opportunity to bless someone. What a cool way to live, looking for an opportunity to give stuff away instead of always looking for opportunities to get because we love opportunities to get. That's why the line will wrap around Jimmy John's four times over when sandwiches are a dollar because everybody's looking for ways to get. Heck, I'd rather pay full price for a sandwich and I have to wait in the line. But here's the thing. People wrap around Jimmy John's four times over to get a dollar sandwich because we're always looking for ways to get more. And we think, oh, I could get more sandwiches because they're cheaper. But are you looking for ways to give? Are you looking for ways to be a blessing? There's nothing wrong with you trying to save money and you looking for ways to be a blessing to your family. But are you looking for ways to give? Are you planning and being intentional with your generosity because it is more blessed to do what than it is to do what? But receiving's fun but giving is better. That's really the heart of that scripture. Receiving is fun, and it is, and there's nothing wrong with you receiving. But man, it's a lot more fun to give than it is to receive. The third thing that we need to do to grow in generosity is start being generous now. In Philemon, verse 1 and 6, the apostle Paul says this, I am praying for you that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. The Apostle Paul writing to Philemon, dealing with the situation with Onesimus, and he writes and pleads with him, listen, you've received Christ, and Christ has been generous to you, so I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from being a Christ follower. I remember when I was in Mexico on a mission trip, to a really small remote village up in the San Juan mountain range, and the name of this village was Raices. It was about 3,000 people or so, and it was when I was a youth pastor, took, took some kids in my youth group as well as some adults from our church that go every year to the same village, and this village always knows that we come around this time of year, and we go to this remote village where there's no running water, there's no electricity, and this whole little village is controlled by mafia, and these people are just oppressed. And they let us come in because we would come in and do things for the children. And, and they were fine with us coming in and doing stuff for the kids. But, man, we had to drive like, like an hour and a half, two hours from the closest city or town where there were stores and shops to get all the way up these winding, twisting, turning, looking like your bus is going to fall off the side of the mountain-type roads. And we went to this little village, and the church there was made out of cardboard, sticks, and mud. No joke. The walls were cardboard and sticks, and then it was, you know, just adobe building on the outside. No, no, no plumbing, no running water, no electricity in the whole village except in the house where the guys that controlled the village lived. And we went there, and as soon as we got there and unpacked all that good stuff, we were supposed to go eat our first meal. And our whole team goes into this dining room and we all sit at this table, and there's benches everywhere for us to sit, and we sit around this table, and all of the people that were awaiting our arrival had cooked for us, and they had this meal, and it was corn tortillas with some kind of meat and rice and beans, and that's what we had every day that we were there. And they brought out some soda for us also. They had like some yeah, some of the great Mexican sodas. I don't know if you guys like Mexican soda or not, but I love them. And they were bringing these out, and they were, they were bringing these sodas out, and they were not even that cold, but they were giving us all this stuff and just ask, what do you, you know, what, what do you want? What do you want? And they were asking us. Our translator was helping us talk to them, and our translator was also kind of our trip leader because she was our missionary uh, from that uh, organization that worked with this village. And as we're sitting there eating, having a good time, drinking our soda, we begin to feel uncomfortable because we look around and all of the people from this church are all standing around us while we're eating. I don't know about you. 
I don't want anybody standing behind me while I'm eating. It's just weird, right? And I'm not talking about like standing way back. I'm talking like, they're like, like this. And they're like up on you, like standing, like I feel the heat from their body as I'm eating my little tortilla and my rice and my beans. And, and it's awkward, it's uncomfortable. And I'm the youth pastor at the time, so I spoke up and I said, to our translator, I said, can they sit down and eat with us? Can, why, don't, why are they standing around us like this? Why don't they, why, why don't we just say, hey guys, why, why don't you sit down with us? We would love for them to, we don't want them to think we're better than them or for them to think we think we're better than them. We want them to be a part of our group. Can they just sit down and eat with us? And our translator, she said, no. She said, you don't understand what's happening. She said, they've been waiting for you to come all year long and they knew you were coming. And they've been so excited that they wanted to bless you, and they look at this as blessing you with the soda and with the food. And she said, they're not eating with you because once you finish, they're going to eat whatever's left over. And I very vividly remember the feeling I felt in that moment of understanding how to be a good receiver from people who were giving you something and you didn't realize how precious of a gift they were truly giving you. You didn't realize how these people had been so intentional with their gift that they had been planning all year for this to feed a group of 30 or so strangers from America of all places. You're not talking about them feeding 30 people from some starving nation. They're feeding people who can go get food anytime they want it. You're talking to people who <laughs> come in just freshly off of going through the drive-thru or sitting down at some restaurant that's climate-controlled, getting off of our climate-controlled bus. And here we're sitting with people who have no water and no electricity and uh, controlled by the mafia boss in the village and churches sticks and cardboard and they're blessing us. That's because they understood something. They understood it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. They found joy in not only cooking the meal but preparing for the meal knowing a year in advance that we were coming to visit them to come and share the message of the gospel with children because that's what we were there to do was to put on a VBS type thing, a vacation Bible school week for children. And we went there and they wanted to bless us. Us who have more than they could ever dream where probably two or three of us with our lifestyle probably had more collectively than the entire village and they wanted to bless us. And they did. And now they're blessing you. Because I had an experience 12 years ago that I'm sharing with you. And maybe it'll change your perspective on it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So those people 12 years ago from that village are still teaching you today. That message is still going forward because generosity changes lives. Generosity changes lives. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen, somebody. Amen. It's not just about random acts of kindness. It's about intentional, generous living. Open-handed where stuff doesn't control me. Paychecks don't control me. My job doesn't control me because I'm blessed to be a blessing. And I understand how to give cheerfully. And not religiously because I'm paying some bill. That's not what it is. That's not the right attitude. Not because I'm going to be afraid of what happens to me if I don't. But instead because I see the benefit of obedience and the trust in God that it develops in my heart and in my life. And the generosity it begins to work in me and the worship towards God it begins to work in me. 
generosity is worshiping and trusting God. It's being faithful to support works that are impacting eternity. That's why here at Word of Grace, we take the first 10% off of what is given here, and we designate it to give away to other organizations, people who are sharing the gospel all over the world. So when you give at Word of Grace, you're not just giving here at this church, but you're giving to organizations all over the world because we want to, as a church, lead the way with generosity that may not make sense to the world. It's irrational generosity, but it's intentional generosity to where we can help other organizations reach children with special needs in Nepali, Haiti, where we can help reach orphans in Puebla, Mexico, where we can reach communist Vietnam by spreading the gospel, where we can help marriages be restored in our own community through supporting great marriages, where we can see people's lives be changed by the, the chains of alcohol and drug addiction be broken through ministries like Samaritan's Hand, where we can see those who are incarcerated find hope and healing through supporting good news jail and prison ministries where we can see God moving in the inner city of Houston, Texas, reaching the prostitutes, reaching the transsexual, reaching the homeless with the message and the truth and the love of Jesus Christ, where we can see college campuses be transformed by supporting ministries at Colorado State University with Ryan and Stacy Miller that we support every month as a church. When you give, that's what you're giving to as well as here in our local church to make disciples. And as we look back on giving as a church, it's not because we're giving because we have plenty left over. That's not how we prioritize it in our financial department here at Word of Grace. We want to do it on the front end. And we want to make those commitments up front. And it's not something we do with what we have left over. And we're just sitting on a bunch of money and we don't know what to do with it. But we're intentional. And we pray over these people and we pray for them and we support them and you support them. That's what generosity does. It moves beyond what we can do because I can only do so much. You can only do so much. But together we can do a heck of a lot more. Amen? Amen. We can reach the world with the message of the gospel. Generosity gives us a greater sense of purpose. It helps us to prioritize eternity when we give, when we're generous, when we live generously. So I want to ask you this question, what are you going to do with this message? Are you trusting God with the tithe? If you're not, don't feel condemned. Just start tithing. Just start. Start planning your generosity. Are you being intentional planning it? And if you're not being intentional, be more intentional. Stop waiting for you to have enough and start finding ways to be generous now. Are you growing in your generosity? Or are you kind of at a plateau where you feel like, I'm good, I give enough. I'm good, I do enough. I'm good, I, I, I'm, I'm fine. God, God's pleased with what I do, it's fine. Or are you being challenged to make yourself inconvenienced for the sake of eternity? Wherever you're at in your walk with God, my challenge and my exhortation to you today is going to be to step out in faith and begin to trust God and prioritize Him and see what He's able to do. Live that lifestyle where money doesn't control you, where things don't control you, but where you trust God and you live intentionally because you understand something. You understand that you're going to make changes because you've grown in learning that less is more and that I don't want stress in my life and so I'm going to delight in the Lord, and giving is good because God loves a cheerful giver and that tomorrow truly does matter. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.